Oh, that's hey. not, that was off key. That was <laughs> terrible. <laughs> Justin still does it the best. No offense. Gosh, just, sometimes I can get somewhat good. That was. I apologize. Not the best, Scott. Ooh. We are here. Nobody knows us, but it's just you and me today. Not even no Jordan. <laughs> just you and me. The solo. The dudes. The dudes. <laughs> Jordan and Liddy. Oh yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> the two dudes. The two dudes. Dude cast. No, today is actually the Scott cast. Yeah. Scott talk. <laughs> this is the like Scotty a TED pod. talk, but much worse. Oh, <laughs> it's gonna be good because we have. Not even intentionally, Scott, just kind of ended up the last couple of weeks talking about mental health, counseling, Therapy. and family matters really was the series that we've been doing. Family does matter. It does, and it affects you. So your family yes. looks a little different. It's not like Justin and Angie's, and you've had your own experiences growing up. They're actually a family of dogs. <laughs> and Yeah, you have cats. <laughs> See? There you go. But we've been talking about counseling. We've been talking about mental health. We've been talking about how to deal with some of these issues. And today, Scott... It's all about you. I'm looking forward to it. No, you're not. But you're going to do it anyway for the sake of the audience. That's how committed you are as a podcaster, Scott. Yeah, because, you know, I don't mind being a character, but when it's talking about, like, Mimi, then it get, I get weird. Like uh, from the Drew Carey show, Mimi? <laughs> <laughs> no, we were talking about this before, though, that you do like to act. You've been in plays. You do skits. You do. I don't. I, I love being the center of attention as long as I'm not being me in the center of attention. Mm, this is something to unpack for counseling later. Deep. We take some notes. Wear that mask. <laughs> mm, a mask isn't yes. very. Or as you said, Pagliacci. And I know there's clown. a lot of people going Pali who. Explain that because you've talked about this for a long time. It's a sad clown. It's an opera, right? Yes, it is an opera. Yeah, and the whole yeah. thing is about an entertainer who's a clown. Yeah, he's an entertainer. He's a clown. His wife, you know, cheats on him. Mm. And anyway, he goes into a murderous rage. But the whole point of it is, is he lives behind this facade of this clown where he's supposed to be happy, but in reality, he's very sad. Mm. And you relate to that. Which is my life. <laughs> I'm going to see if we'll get you to cry today, Scott. You're not <laughs> a big crier. <laughs> I am not a big crier. I hate crying. I know you do. And and nothing gets people to cry. I think crying is a good thing. It's right. cathartic. But when I cry, my throat hurts, my nose runs. I just don't like it. I don't like the way it makes me feel physically. Like, not spiritually or mentally, but physically. Like, my eyes hurt. I just, ah, can't stand it. Mm. We'll see how this podcast goes. (laughs) (laughs) Evan's goal, to make Scott cry. No, but we really do want to unpack a little bit of your experience with counseling. Because Angie talked with Lenita. You've had some different experiences with counseling. And honestly, a lot of people probably don't know your story of kind of what you've gone through and growing up and how you became the Scott that you are. And I think we joke and say, it is really, we're all a sum of our childhood experiences and growing up. And I think a lot of people know you as the funny guy that's on screen and doing stuff, but you've gone through some stuff. I have. Sorry if I, well, you can't see there at yeah. home, but I'm making weird faces because apparently all of a sudden my allergies or something's kicked in and I'm dr- drowning in my uh, drainage. Well, yes, enjoy that sound. All this whole podcast we're talking. <laughs> it just like clicked on. Anyway. There you go. So, Scott, let's talk about your childhood. Let's talk about you growing up. Let's let people know something that maybe they don't know about you. You're adopted. I am. So I was, you, I was born 1947. And no. Surprise. I'm bringing in your bio parents on this <laughs> podcast. <Hey! laughs> you Wouldn't them. that be great? Yeah. No, I was adopted. I was technically, well, it wasn't technically. I was volunteered first of our volunteer. I was adopted through the Volunteers of America, um, but I was adopted before I was born. The paperwork was done and everything. Um, 
So yeah, my mom was actually still pregnant with me before, and then that's when I was adopted. So she decided to give you up for adoption. Yeah, she was. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can't remember the exact story, but I believe she was twenty. Um, I have a brother that's two years older than me. Uh, his father was killed. So my mother was married at the time when she had my brother. Uh, that, so she would have been eighteen. Yeah, she was eighteen. Uh, probably high school sweethearts. Uh, anyway, that person was killed so you know that's unfortunate so then two years later she was working as a waitress she gets pregnant again don't know how well i mean i know how but and you've never met her right so never met her all this i have some paperwork okay um but anyway she became pregnant uh and so she didn't want to be a single mom raising two children by herself and so that's when she said hey can somebody help me and Volunteers of America was like, yes. And at that time, my parents, Don and Paula, sweet, loving people, were almost too old to adopt me. Mm-hmm. Literally, at that time, the rules were very different back in the day. It was yeah. very much of a closed hush, hush. Almost 40 years ago. Yeah. And so, at 32 was the age limit. Wow. And my, my parents were 32. My mom had a lot of health issues, and mm-hmm. so she could not... Um, the, her doctor told her, if you have a child, you will probably die. Yikes. So they that's why they went with adoption, because they really tried, and then she had all kinds of health issues. Anyway, so they were 32 and had been waiting. I don't know how long they'd been waiting. I, I don't think that long. It's kind of like a last-ditch effort, and uh, boom, here I am. Here you are. And your parents were here? Yeah. And yeah. then you were in Mississippi was where your mom was? Is that right? No. No. no she was no. here? Yeah. Oh, okay. No, everybody was here. Okay. No, my dad was on the lake fishing with my grandfather. Oh, wow. Yeah, the day I was born. <laughs> there you go. So they brought you home from the hospital? Yep. Uh, no. No. No, no, no. Okay. Uh, I was with my mother for 12 days, and then uh, then they got me. Gotcha. Yeah. So I was with, yeah. And then, yeah. So then you... <laughs> But you grew up an only child. Yes, I did. Uh, which there's pros and cons. Sure. Uh, the pros is is um, it makes you a very selfish person because uh, I get everything I want when I want. <laughs> Dad, get it. They spoiled you a little. Yeah, and my parents. I mean, they're. I guess we could say we're upper middle class. So you know, like, yeah, I I was spoiled. I was you know they made good money and. Yeah, I got everything I wanted or needed, really. I mean, not sure. everything I wanted because I really wanted a Power Wheels, and I never got Still a Power holding Wheels. on to that. <laughs> Still holding on to that. Next counseling session. Yeah, exactly. We'll yep. There was a good reason. But, uh, uh, yeah, so that was a great childhood. Um, yeah, I couldn't ask for better parents. I'm glad I was adopted. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because who knows what my upgrading would have been. Sure. I mean, with a single mom with two kids, although if someone is like that, I mean, good for you but i mean that's a tough life absolutely so did you when did they tell you you were adopted you know everyone asked that and i don't know Hmm. i have always known my parents always made it very clear to me it wasn't like hiding it yeah Yeah. and it's not like well you're adopted (laughs) (laughs) go to your room didn't even want you we didn't (laughs) yeah no i mean they they were like you know we love you very much but they i've always known i'm adopted i cannot think of one moment where they were like this is when you were adopted, or mm. you know, when they told me. It's like I've always known. Mm. So I guess I was, they probably told me when I was very, very young and just reiterated it. And yeah, yeah. made mm-hmm. sure you knew. Yep. All right. So then, in your childhood, you did experience some trauma. You went through some. Yeah, I went tough through some some things. 
Um, yeah, I won't go deep into it, sure. but yeah, there was some trauma there that I didn't realize was trauma until after the fact, and I got, uh, yeah, I went dark. I went high-pitched. <laughs> I also went dark. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, kinda- I, yeah, and so, yeah, I started, I mean, I'm just going to be honest, I started contemplating suicide in fifth grade. And that's shockingly early to me. Yeah. But it's reality. I mean, that really is where you were at 11 years old. Mm-hmm. And it, you was affecting you in ways you couldn't verbalize. You didn't oh, know. Yeah. You didn't tell anybody, right? No, and I didn't know what depression was. Sure. Yeah, I, and of course, you know, after the fact, you know, I, I was diagnosed with uh, major depression disorder, which was basically I was born with it. And when was that? When were you diagnosed? Uh, I didn't get diagnosed until I was right? 18. Okay, yeah. Yeah, because my parents and really no one in my family um if has been diagnosed with anything with my adopted family because they don't really i i guess they do have those issues but not to the same degree so my parents didn't know what it was they knew something was wrong but they didn't really know they didn't really understand yeah, their first time parents and it's yeah, the 90s yeah. And, and, yeah and plus two you know they've never had there's no one in my family like me either you know, I'm very different from the rest of my family. My family is pretty logical, you know, by the book people, and I am not. <laughs> <laughs> so they also were just doing the best they can what they had until I reached a breaking point when I was 18. And so that's and, like a seven-year run, though, yeah. of you walking oh, yeah. through childhood yeah, and, I, and adolescent. You know, yeah, and so basically, I just coped on my own. So what did and, you do to cope? Well, I um, I acted out a lot. I uh, I wrote a lot of my thoughts and feelings down, and in fact, that's what got me help was, is what I basically did to cope is I would just write the stuff down, and I would throw it away, and then one day I forgot to throw it away, and my mom found it and freaked out, Yeah, (laughs) and I was in high school, and uh, she came and got me, and there was a, I found out later, there was literally an ambulance waiting down the street for me. Wow. They were they're coming to take me away. Because <laughs> basically you were talking about hurting yourself. Yeah, yeah. Because I was I had had a plan, yeah, since the fifth grade of how I was gonna do it and everything. Suicidal, the whole nine yards. Hmm. And so that's when I first started getting help was I when I was eighteen years old. Wow. Yeah. So you never told anybody and then verbalized because you grew up in student ministry, you were around yeah. church and No, but once again it wasn't talked about. Right. It's not like it is now. Like now, it's a very accepted thing. You know, I didn't know what depression was. Right. I mean, people knew, but it wasn't like a discussed thing all the time. I mean, I, I really didn't know what I was going through. I thought everyone felt the way that I did. And I felt like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and just for reference, you're 38, right? Yeah. So that would have been, yeah, growing up the mid-90s, kind of yeah. being in two mystery. Oh, yeah. You were at first Bozier with Justin and mm-hmm. Chip. You grew up with those guys who were around, and... I knew you as a senior, and I had no idea. I wouldn't have guessed. It's not like you're this dark, brooding in the corner person. You do skits, wearing and you're funny. Bla- black outfits. <laughs> but you really didn't. And no. you would have not known because, again, that's seven years of coping yeah. skills. That Well, and I wore a good mask. Right. And even when I went through it, I did, it wasn't like I was super public about it either. Right. Yeah, because that's a part of me. I, at that time, I was embarrassed about it, so sure. I didn't want to talk about it. Sure. Um, and, yeah, so I went into uh, – I went into – when I was 18, I went to Willis Knighton uh, Rehab uh, Mental Health Facility as a teenager, and then I realized, wow, I'm not so bad. 
That sounds awful, but yeah. it is perspective. No, because right? then you go into a facility like that because it's a mental health facility. I was a day patient, but I would. Were you mad at your mom? Did you feel like you were glad uh, somebody found out? What was it like when you finally did get help? It's surreal. Hmm. But but once again, I didn't get any real help till I was in my twenties. So even that initial, yeah. yeah, yeah, because it, you know, so. My mom found a letter, which basically, you know, I won't go into deep details, but basically I was suicidal. Yeah. So at that point, you know, she's like, well, let's go talk to somebody. So we go to Brentwood. Um, I talk to the physician at Brentwood for five minutes without my mother. He gets no information from me. Hmm. So this, I'm going on the bad experience first. He gets no information. Literally, my name, how old I am, where I go to school, and... Just a few details about my personal life. Nothing at all. And he goes back to my mother and says, I want to commit him right now. No context. No nothing. Wow. So my mom was like, no. That's crazy. So, yeah, because he was just, I don't know what his deal was, but he wanted me in that hospital. Mm-hmm. And hadn't read the letter or anything. He knew nothing. He wanted to commit me right that moment. So that was a bad experience. So then I went and saw another counselor and they were like, well, yeah, you could probably use some inpatient care, but you don't need to be like in a facility. Right, locked up. Yeah, so for a week, I went to, I was an outpatient facility at Willis Knighton. So during the day, like during normal school hours, I was at Willis Knighton, and then I just went home, you know, just basically like school. Like yeah. I was there, and I went to group and did all that stuff. Was it helpful? Um, yes and no. Hmm. Uh you know the the problem with those with that type of environment back then, which I don't know if it's changed now, but I didn't get any individual counseling at that time. Hmm. It was all a group stuff, and you know I was in there with you know basically a bunch of teenagers, and these teenagers they had problems. Like <laughs> one girl truly believed she'd been impregnated by aliens. She was thirteen years old. Like hmm. like they had deep psychological issues and they were inpatients like right. I was the only outpatient all the rest of them were inpatients and they like one kid had stabbed his dad or something like that and that's why he was in there so I was not the priority <laughs> right and not to downplay where you were yeah but it was another level of psychological care and yeah. need for those other oh yeah teenagers. yeah yeah it was it was yeah they definitely focused on the and, and it should be because Although I was depressed at that time, I mean, I was suicidal for sure, but I, in my own mind, was like, well, I guess it's not going to happen because it's been seven years or however long, so. Right. Did you ever get close? Was it like ups and downs and times? Uh, I got close later in life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that got really close later in life. Mm. Anyway. Heading that way. <laughs> yeah. Did they prescribe you medication at that time? Yes, and I threw it up. Uh, I forget what it was, but every time I took a pill, it would come right back up. Interesting. Yeah, so I would not stay down. I don't know if it was just a mental thing, if I didn't want it or what, but no, it just, yeah, antidepressants at that time didn't work for me. Yeah. So yeah. again, this is early 2000s now. Oh, yeah. yeah different I mean, time and 20 years ago coming around. Yeah. Looking back in hindsight, I'm thinking of any parents listening or somebody that knows somebody that might have been going through depression or some of that. Is there something your mom did right or you're glad she said or something that maybe you wish she hadn't said or something that helped you in that time or was not something you would recommend to do? Like, what would you say to somebody that was trying to help someone like where you were at as a teenager? You just really have to pay attention. Hmm. 
But it's it was hard for my parents because I played it off very well. Right. So, yeah, that's kind of a hard question for me personally to sure. ask. I just, just really pay attention to what your kids say. But my parents, once my mom found the note and I was able to talk to her about what I was really going through, and then she was, I guess my, don't overreact. Mm. Because at that time, though my mom had lined up things, she still wanted to talk to me first and still wanted to walk just to make sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think as parents which I'm not a parent, but I'm just going off what I imagine. You want to protect your children. And sometimes if a problem comes up, like especially if you're a fixer, you want to fix it and you want to fix it now. And you want to protect them and you want to insulate them. And so there's a tendency to overreact. And then that's like, my mom could have left me at Brentwood, but she was like, I don't like that. Right. And I'm thankful she didn't. Yeah, because that probably would not have gone well. Sure. So we've said this a couple times in the last couple podcasts, but at Simple Church, we want to help with you and your family. If you think there's something going on or something that you want an expert on, we are not experts, but we can refer you to counselors at Clint Davis. You can meet with a pastor first if you're not ready to take that step and just say, hey, is this normal or is this something you think is going on? Yeah, and just because somebody's depressed doesn't mean they're suicidal either. Mm. That's a good distinction. Yeah, yeah. I think want to err on the side of caution. Yeah, for sure. sure. And most people, and honestly... The scariest part is, and I'm not trying to scare anybody who's listening, but most people who are suicidal, they're not going to tell you, hey, I'm suicidal. Yeah. You know? Right. Yeah, most of, like, I had a plan. I didn't tell anybody my plan. I didn't, I didn't like, tell my mom, oh, hey, by the way, you know. And you were, again, involved in school. You played football. You were in a youth group. You were going on trips. It's not like you were this reclusive. No, and I had friends. I had lots of friends. I was, in my own mind, I thought it was popular. (laughs) I look back at pictures now and go, hmm. Yeah, but, but you weren't like this complete loner, no. isolated. You were walking through all that depression and anxiety and worry yeah. while looking from the outside pretty normal. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to tell sometimes. Yeah, and that's why it's, that's when it gets difficult because yeah. I was hiding it. Because, but I learned to cope on my own. So. Absolutely. Yeah. And maybe somebody listening to this relates to that. And if you feel like that you've been walking through that and doing it alone, we want to be able to help you too. Maybe this is that wake-up call or step to reach out to somebody and talk. And again, send it to prayer at thesimplechurch.tv. We'll put a link in the show notes. You can reach out directly to Clint Davis. But if you want to get to help and take a step, we definitely want everyone to try to do that. Huh, I didn't know we had a prayer thing. Yeah, email prayer yeah. at thesimplechurch.tv. It's the best way to get in touch. <laughs> so now you're out, you're 18. Talk about what happens next in your life and kind of well, the so way that path goes. I went off to school. Uh, I did okay. And uh, you feel like at that point, like, okay, now I'm over this? Or do you feel like in the back of your mind, it's always still kind of there? Well, I was still depressed, but I was like, I don't want to go through that again. <laughs> so I'm just going to stuff it even yeah, further. Yeah, so I just stuffed it even further down. Then I went off to school in Houston, uh, which was Universal Technical Institute. <laughs> uh, got a degree in automotive diesel industrial engineering, which means I'm a mechanic. Anyway, uh you know, went through school, got a job, came back home, you know, started working full time, ironically, in a psych hospital. Uh, <laughs> Which is funny because you didn't go and use the mechanic degree. No, no, did not use the mechanics degree at all. Well, I used it for a little bit. Oh, we'll just, we won't go into detail, but it Fair didn't enough. go well. But started, then worked at a psych hospital for, you know, several years. And then there I'd met what I thought was the love of my life. Mm. And uh, followed her to Austin, Texas, and uh, she left me in Austin. <laughs> you laugh so you don't cry. <laughs> <laughs> now, like, 
you know, it's just because I'm sure there's other people that have done that. You know, I packed up my whole, I knew no one in Austin. Hmm. I was, I only knew her. And I literally, like a thief in the night, hmm. packed up everything without telling anybody and moved to Austin. Told my parents after the fact, <laughs> like, hey, by the way. Well, I, I was, moved. Yeah, and I was living on my own. I was 23 or 4. I was you much skinnier then. <laughs> I was looking pretty good. Um, yeah, just moved to Austin and got a job at the hospital where she worked because she was an RN. So I got a job as a mental health tech at uh, Austin State Hospital, the oldest and longest running mental hospital in the state of Texas. Hmm. Creepy place. Anyway, uh, <laughs> started working there and literally... After packing up my entire life and moving down there with her, she left me within two months. And this was listening to last week's podcast with Lenita, an example of little T trauma, where it's maybe not something that you think of as big trauma, but it was a big traumatic event in your life. Yeah. So, yeah, she she literally broke up with me um, two or three months after moving down there. And in that time, I also lost my job that I, at the hospital. And I was stuck. I was stuck there, uh, and that's when things went dark. <laughs> Took a real big nosedive, uh, attempted suicide there. Um, actually, uh, I don't know. Should I go into detail? Uh, maybe not. Yeah, maybe explicitly, not. Yeah, but no, no. Basically, yeah, no. I, I one night I got very low, attempted suicide. Thank goodness I drank so much that I actually passed out. So woke up. Two days later. Wow. Um, yep. But anyway, yeah. And then my dad got sick. And so that's when I moved back home and I was just a At mess. Bottom. Yeah. 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 And I, did you reach out and talk to anybody at that point? I can't remember. Um, I actually, you know, it's funny that you say that because I was trying to think about it last night. I cannot remember how I ended up at Marty Miller's office. Hmm. I want to say Chip. But, you know, I don't know. Because you really kind of just pulled yourself out of everything. You weren't really going to church. I wasn't going wasn't to church. Involved no. You kind of cut off all your friends when you followed the girl. Yeah. And so you basically had isolated yourself. And when you moved back, you got reconnected with the church that you'd grown up in, First mm-hmm. Bossier and Chip, and kind of started yeah. talking about that. Yeah. And, uh, well, actually, Simple Church had just started at that time. Because okay. I'd started with Simple Church, right. left, and then I came back. Um, and I get, yeah, it had to be either Chip or Justin. Right. Yeah. Because really, you know, at that time when I came back, Simple Church was six months old, maybe. I think we'd only been going for six months. Yeah. And you were part of the initial launch team. Yeah. I was part of the initial launch team and everything was there that summer. And then after that summer is when I left and then I came back, um, cause my dad got sick and I was like, well, and at that time we thought I might have to take care of him, like mm-hmm. for real, take care of him and. So, yeah, moved back with my parents, but I was still super sad and stuff and just depressed and lonely and still but, hung up on that. But weren't really talking woman. to anybody. No. Yeah, you and, didn't come back and chip and like, hey, I need help. You were just like, <laughs> help me. <laughs> no, uh, no, I really didn't. And because I'm, I'm just trying to remember, I really don't know. But somehow, it had to have been through Chip or Justin, I got hooked up with Marty Miller. Who's a counselor in town. Who's a counselor. And he's the first counselor that I really... Like connected with because so the time when you were eighteen to when you went and Marty did you see probably other counselors? 25, 26. Yeah, I saw a few counselors. I saw a counselor that uh, specifically dealt with adopted children, and mm. really, that's why I said on the last podcast you really got to try counselors out because 
the therapists that I'd had before Marty, they just weren't a good fit for me. Right. I mean, I'm sure they were great, and I'm sure they're good at what they do, but they just weren't a good fit for me. Marty fit me. Hmm. Uh, Y'all connected. It, yeah, we connected. And so after many years of counseling with him, I don't get suicidal anymore. He helped me build that that wall, I guess you could call it, or whatever, that part of me. I, I don't know go to the that. tools, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't go to that dark place anymore at all. I just really don't go there. But even in all of that, you still aren't openly talking about it with anybody. No. So you're just kind of on the side doing it. Everybody sees you yeah. at Simple Church. Well, well, but well, eh. okay. by that point, I started opening up about it. I still don't talk a lot about sure. it. Sure. But I'm not like, I'm not going to talk about it. Right. I'm more than happy to talk about it and whatever with whoever will, will if they want to discuss it. But, but I just think it's so interesting that it was from when you were 11 to when you were 27, 28, before you really even would talk to anybody about yeah, it. Yeah, in fact, <laughs> I literally had one counselor tell me one time, I don't know how you're still alive. That's not what I you want to like, hear. <laughs> Thanks. Good job. Yeah, like, <laughs> that's heavy. Yeah. Yeah, because literally, the, yeah, she was like, yeah, I don't, if any, I've heard of other people in your situation, and they would have taken their lives by now. Sheesh. It's like, so does that mean I get like a gold star or something? Like, <laughs> Discount? Yeah. like Yeah. So, yeah. So working with Marty Miller, you found the Yeah, literally. And it, and it wasn't, and that's the other thing I was going to say too. It wasn't like I went to Marty for like two sessions, like, I feel better. Right. No, it was three years and going once a week for three years. Wow. Sometimes twice a week to get out of that place. Hmm. Yeah. And that's what I think it's hard for us to wrap our heads around that. And I think people are like, well, I just don't have time for that or I'm not going to do that or I can't afford that or whatever. But it takes the work to put in to get to a place where you really want to be and be healthy. For yeah. Some and, you know, just like they always say, you have to want it. Yeah. I didn't want to feel that way anymore. I didn't want to be suicidal. Hmm. The thought and really uh, what honestly what saved my life was the thought of a family member finding me, specifically my mother. Hmm. And that's the that is literally the only thing that kept me from doing it. And so then talking about that with Marty and walking through that, yeah, you just kind of you gotta you gotta put in the work. And and since I knew that I didn't want anybody to find me, specifically my mother, well, then obviously I didn't want to do it. Hmm. So there was something. There was still some kind of hope inside of me. And so then we built on that hope. And I am so glad that I'm here because there's so much that I would have missed out on. I would have missed out on Simple Church. I would have missed out on Juarez. Just there are so many positive things that have happened. And not it hasn't been all roses. And, sure. And I haven't always made the best decisions. But no, I... You're um, at a better place than you were 10 years better ago. place. Yeah, and walking through that and oh my gosh, yes. So you see Marty for those three years, you feel like you're at a better place. Yeah, I'm at a better place. So then we kind of, you know, I kind of stopped for a while, but then, you know, I never really processed any of my trauma. Mm. So probably a year or so went by. Did it come up with Marty? Did you just kind of skirt around uh, it? We really didn't, really at that time, I guess you could call we were in kind of crisis management mode. Yeah. Um, so we really were just trying to get me out of the depression, um, which I still have depression, by the way. I just... Sorry, I just don't get dark with it. But um, but no, so we really didn't want to really process a lot of stuff. But he always said, because I talked about it, he said, if you want to 
process, and we will whenever you're ready. So I saw him for three years, kind of stopped for a year, but then I ended up going back, and then that's when we started processing the trauma, and I started doing EDMR therapy, which is weird. Yeah, tell us some more about yeah. it, because Andy talked about it last week. Yeah, it's just, you know, it seems silly. Yeah, It really does seem like the stupidest, silliest thing that... And you think... Well, I was sitting there, and I thought to myself, how in the world is this going to work? So explain again. If somebody didn't listen last week, yeah, you can go so back, and there's more. You basically, the way that it worked with Marty is, is he has, it looks like a, a ping pong table. Okay. And a, a ping pong table of light brights. <laughs> and it's literally just this light that goes back and forth. And you focus, you don't move your head or anything, you just focus with your eyes on this light. And he has a series of questions that he asks you uh, specifically about the trauma that you want to process. And I went into it going, this is stupid. <laughs> I'm going to watch this ping pong. How in the world is this going to help? And I wept. Mm. I'm not talking about like a little man tear. I'm talking about I snot crying and had no idea where it came from. But like uh, the therapist, what was her name? Lanita. Lanita was talking about what it does is, is it basically your mind has to process it on both sides at the same time. And so somehow, like, and I know she went in way more depth right. than I, but basically you watching that little light makes your, yeah, it makes those things connect, and your brain processes it without you even realizing that it's processing it. So you go through that trauma again. in your mind in again, but it's in a positive way, because Cathartic. then after that, because this trauma that I'd went through, I thought about all the time, whether I wanted to or not. And it would creep up on me. I'd be driving my car, and there'd be some kind of memory. And you're in your 30s at this point, yeah. right? This had yeah. been No, I'm like 32, yeah. yeah. And so now that, you know, and we processed other traumas, and it's just weird because there. it's not like the trauma didn't happen. It's still there, but it's... It's just, a, it's just a forefront. distant memory. Yeah, no, it's just like, yeah, that happened to me, and I moved on. And you think I was directly attributed to the EDMR? Oh, 100%. Hmm. There was no other way. Cause I talked about my trauma with Marty before. We've walked through it before. But until I had that therapy, no, now it's just, you know, it's, yes, it's a part of me. It's what happened. But I've moved on. Like, it, that, whatever that light does, it, <laughs> it works. on, yeah. <laughs> and it's weird. And anybody who's thinking about doing or thought about doing I'm telling you, you go into it and you go, that, really? Just watch this? And, you know, and when he first, he didn't even have the light. He just used his fingers, like like a windshield wiper. And you're going, this is stupid. <laughs> That's what you're... And then next thing you know, you're crying. You're like, maybe it's not so stupid. And it really helped you. Yeah, it really did. And I, I highly recommend it for anybody that has any kind of trauma. Hmm. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. And and once and even in that, though, I still go back to find a therapist and find a therapy that works. And also, put in the work. Hmm. Like, that was the other thing, too. Like, you know, from Marty, I saw, started seeing another therapist, uh, Hasim, with Clint Davis, who I should go back and see, honestly, because I need a little tune-up. <laughs> but, you know, he would drive me nuts because he would give me homework. But one time... I went in to see him, and he said, did you do this? And I said, no. He said, well, then we're not talking today. Tough and I was love. like, what? And he's like, yeah, if you're not going to do the work, then I'm not going to waste your time, and you're not going to waste mine. But for me, that's the type of therapist that needed. I need. Right. So, But for somebody else, that might be too harsh. So maybe that's not what you need. 
But for Hasim, I was like, okay, then, all right, you, you know, I'm gonna show you, <laughs> and I'm gonna do the work. I'm gonna get better, <laughs> and it and it worked. Yeah, yeah. And so that's because why it's I, silly when you think about it. Like I think you and me know people have had these experiences where you don't connect with a counselor, it doesn't work for you, that person. It's not like if you have a bad experience with a doctor, you just decide you're never going to go to a doctor again. Or if you don't like your dentist, you're never going to get your teeth cleaned again. If you have a bad experience and you don't like a counselor, there are hundreds of them and you need to go and try to find one that does work for you. Yeah, it's just interesting to me. I think because mental health is such a personal thing. Mm. And also a lot of people, like with me, I had coped for so long that I'm just like, well, I just keep coping. Yeah, if it, you know, and, but thankful, but really what pushed me is other people in my life. You know, when you have Justin and Chip and John and everybody else at the stupid office going, <laughs> it's time for you to go see somebody. They noticed. You know. They yeah. know you. Yeah. And you friends too. Yeah, yeah. Friends too that are going, I think you need to go talk to somebody. I'm like, yeah. So then you kind of go, okay. And so, yeah. And I, you know, I've probably seen eight or nine counselors in my life, different counselors over time. And that's a lot. Yeah. But. You know, you got to find ones that work for you. And that season that you're in. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, and there's different counselors. Because now I'm not going, now I wouldn't see a counselor because I'm depressed. Because I'm not necessarily depressed, I would go for different reasons. Yeah. So, and there's there's counselors that specifically, you know, like Lenita, she does, you know, specifically trauma and stuff like that. Well, if you don't have any trauma, you may not want to see if somebody's or specifically big trauma. Or trauma, right? Yeah, that's what trauma, she's yeah. Yeah, like if you are not adopted, then you probably don't need to see somebody that Adoption specializes. Yeah, right. and that's the other thing too, because some people that I know have gone to counselors. Like, there's people that they need individual counseling, and they go to a family counselor. Well, that counselor specializes in families, right. not in individuals. You wouldn't go see a podiatrist if you've got a problem with your right. whatever your yeah. elbow. Yeah, it's I'm not, not, <laughs> not going to go see a podiatrist and go, "Hey, my eye hurts right, really exactly. bad." Yeah, give me some glasses. Yeah, my nose is kind of stopped up. You mind looking at that? I'm like, no, I'm looking at your foot. Yeah, it's the same type deal. You got to find one that also fits your problem. For sure. And like you said, there's hundreds out there. Absolutely. So Clint Davis, there's a couple dozen on their staff, and we partner with them. We'd love to help you to find one there, and can help you to answer questions again. Reach out. But let's go that transition into quarantine, Scott, because you're kind of getting better again. You're on that upswing, and then 2020 <laughs> hits. Then, well, you know, I had developed a drinking problem, <laughs> and I didn't know I'd developed a drinking problem. <laughs> right. Because honestly, I know you're laughing, but you had drank throughout yeah. your life. And well, I had always been a drinker. Um, actually, it's funny. I really didn't start drinking till long into my 20s. Really? Yeah, I would never drink as a, like, I wasn't a teenager that was like, woo, let's party. Like, literally, I probably didn't start drinking a lot till I was 25, 26. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really struggle sleeping. Mm-hmm. I struggle falling asleep. And I really started drinking to fall asleep. And it progressively got to where I was drinking a 12 to a 24 pack a night, every night, seven days a week, hmm. and saw no problem with it. And you weren't telling anybody. You lived alone. No, no. Yeah, I lived alone. And people are like, how could, like, because there's people in life like, you mean Johnny didn't know? Because Johnny and I are best friends. And like, no, no one knew. I lived by myself. There's no one, I had no accountability. There's no one like, hey, you think you should buy that? So yeah, I was spending, we averaged it up like, I don't know how much, like a thousand dollars a month in all alcohol or something like that. I don't know, some crazy amount. John and I went did the numbers. Anyway, um, so yeah, and was fine with it. Everything was fine. I drank six days a week. The only night I didn't drink was Saturday night because I had church on Sunday, and 
I just hated feeling bad coming to church. It had nothing to do with the morality <laughs> of it. It was physically, Practical. I didn't want to feel like throwing up while working. And then quarantine hits, and then things really got out of control. And uh, I forget, basically, no, I don't forget. I had a really bad time right after Easter. So we did Easter. Everything was fine. But March 2020, I mean, it really was yeah. collective big T trauma that yeah. everybody was going through. Right. So right. for me, my experience was totally different than yours because I was home. I had two kids. We were going and I was doing stuff and hanging out. We were going to walks. But really, you were completely isolated. Yeah, I was completely isolated and alone. And uh, really, in the beginning, because I like my alone time. And in the beginning, it wasn't bad, but the longer I'm alone, the worse it is. So, yeah, I started to kind of freak out. And basically, right after, so we did Easter. Easter was great. And then after Easter, I just started to, literally, the night of Easter is when I had a major freak out. Hmm. So, I was like, okay, I am done with everything. So, I stopped everything. So, for a week, I didn't drink or anything. And after that week, I started having crazy thoughts. I started shaking all the time. Um, I've always had depression, but I've never really dealt with anxiety much. Mm. At least, I didn't think I did. Um, I had a full-blown panic attack and had never had a panic attack. Didn't know what that was. Thought I was having a heart attack. Uh, so I'm just freaking out and I just can't figure it out. So I start looking up online and I have all the signs and symptoms of DTs, which is <laughs> basically I'm detoxing and not even realizing it. I don't know why I'm holding my hand up and looking at it. <laughs> Nobody else it saw that, like, but yeah, it was. Yeah. Anyway, the description. Yeah. Like reading the description of DTs. So I'm looking at it and I'm going, I'm going through withdrawal. So I'll never forget it. Uh, so I, so we had an event where we were giving out books. And so that day, it was the same day I realized I was going through withdrawal. So I called two friends of mine that I know are alcoholics. And they both said, yeah, you're uh, you're an alcoholic. That's the first <laughs> time you'd really ever said it. Yeah, first you? time. Yeah, because at, at the time, I really didn't think I was. Because once again, I didn't think I had a problem. And so like, yeah, no, no, you got a problem. So they were like, okay, so you're coming to AA. And so I did that. And then I went to John was like, because John had walked with me through some of that when I was freaking out. And he was, you know, he was kind of just, he was helping me figuring out. And I said, I think I figured it out, John. I said, I think I'm an alcoholic. He goes, really? What makes you think that? I said, I'm drinking 12 to 24 pack a day. He goes, yep, that's a problem. And to credit, you work at a church. You <laughs> could have, in a different environment, very easily just been fired for that. Yeah. But the culture that we have, who they are, John and Justin and Chip and, and the people that are there. And the big part that helped me is I went to them and said, right. I have a problem. Right. Yeah. It wasn't like they like they found out. Like you I got, yeah. Right. And, but the, the downside to it was it was in the middle of the pandemic. <laughs> so normally when you go through that, they put you in a facility where you could DT healthily. Right. Where you can go through all that. There was nowhere I could go. It's all closed. Everything was closed. Yeah, Everything. Like April 2020. So I went through DTs alone at my parent. Well, started out at my house and then went to my parents' house and actually had to move into my parents for a little bit. But yeah, but, you know, I went back into therapy and now I'm in a much better place and I am sober and have been sober and yeah. 
So it's a big deal. And mm-hmm. you said you're going to write the book called. I did. The quarantine saved my life. Right? Oh yeah, how quarantine <laughs> saved my life. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. But yeah. that is a huge pivotal moment for you of again, you've had ups and downs through this. Yeah, and and honestly, I think without the quarantine, I never would have stopped. <laughs> Unless until I got like some kind of terrible diagnosis, but Sure. Yeah, because once again, I didn't know how to problem until my mind slipped. <laughs> until I thought it was the sun and the moon was in my room talking to me. That's a red flag. Yeah, then you got to go. <laughs> yeah. It was weird. Well, thank you for opening up about that, Scott, because I think I wanted to do this, and I asked you if we could talk about it. Because yeah, and I think my my exact text was, oof. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> but it's important because I think, A, to normalize it, to know that you're not alone. If you're listening to this and you've gone through things, maybe not to that extreme. Yeah, but and, and hold on. Yeah, because along that, sorry, just real That's quick. Okay. My biggest fear when I said I was an alcoholic is how it's going to be accepted. Hmm. There has been nothing but positivity. Right. From my family to my friends, no one has been like, mm. everyone in my life has been like so helpful since I have walked through that. At my life group, which was John's life group, I sat down in front of those guys and told them not every single one of them was supportive. My parents, who are devoutly religious Southern Baptists who don't drink, I thought, oh, God. <laughs> and even my grandparents at the time, my whole family is very religious. Once again, I'm very opposite from them. <laughs> so, you know, very, you know, staunch. And right. they all have loved and supported me through this walk. Hmm. Not a single one of them has been like judgmental or harsh. So if you do have a problem and you're worried about how people are going to react to it, I promise you it's not as bad as you think. And, if you have the right people in your life, which thank goodness I did, it's going to be nothing but support. And the biggest difference is, is because I was the one that sought it. Yeah, absolutely. You were able yeah. to recognize that yeah, which, instead of yeah, and doing go- something that had consequences. Yeah, and going through AA, which by the way, I know I'm running, I know I've gone over, but go to AA. It works. It's been a program for over 100 years. Yeah. And it's it really, I, I didn't think it would work. It works. Go to it. Everyone, right now. <laughs> no, not everyone. But at Simple Church, we like to say it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay there. And you got to put your money where your mouth is. And again, to credit Justin and John and the leadership of the church, you kept your job. You're still here working. You're yeah. able to. And they were frustrated at times. Sure, absolutely. And you brought some of that on yourself. Because, I mean, you know, I had two brains for a second. Yeah. <laughs> John, I know you listen, so I'm sorry to bring up the trauma of two brains. That's right. But. Again, full credit to them. Walk through it with you. We're able to do it. You ask for help, and that's who we want to be. That's who we strive to be. Yeah. And as a staff and as pastors and people that are working to help our community, we want you, if you're listening to this, to get help. And it's not going to be judging. It's not going to be doing it. We no. generally want you to take that step and have the courage to be able to come and say, I need to talk to somebody or I don't know what to do next, and we want to help do that with you. Because as scary and as hard as it is to do, it's worth it. Mm. Because it's not easy, right. and it's months. It took six months of – it literally took me six months before I felt even somewhat normal. And that's after, again, 20 years and nine counselors of yeah. working through different things to get those steps to work that – to get it, to there. It really took me a full year to feel completely normal. Hmm. But it's worth it. You're better off working. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would – I'd much rather be sober. Hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. 100%. So, Scott, thank you for sharing your story. You're welcome. Scotty Talk.
Sorry for going over everything. The Scott Pod. It's okay. It was a good one. Mm. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for talking with us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading this episode. We're going to have Clint Davis on next week. Yay. The head of Clint Davis Counseling, hence the name. And be able to <laughs> what talk if his name wasn't Clint Davis? <laughs> he just came like up with an alter ego. John <laughs> Wick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a terrible counseling service. We wouldn't go see him, but we enjoy getting to talk to Clint and some more things about this. And maybe you're tired of counseling talk. Maybe it's not for you. But if you know somebody that maybe would benefit from this or someone that you send this episode to, share it. Send it to somebody. Yeah. But and if, and if you have any questions, email me. S-C-O-T-T at thesimplechurch.tv. Yes. We'll put a link in the show notes oh as well. Oh, my gosh. Scott wants to hear from you. So lonely. <laughs> But we appreciate you listening. Thank you, Scott. Really, thanks for being honest. Thanks oh, for being able to do this. I'm happy to do it. We'll thanks hope it for asking somebody. Me. Absolutely. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.